Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hello. My guest today, Trisha Cunningham, runs one of the largest food relief organizations in the U.S., North Texas Food Bank. Trisha was my very first guest when I first started the podcast. Go back and listen to that uh, podcast. It was on September the 9th, 2018. And she had some wonderful stories at that time because she had just come on board as the CEO. And I was fascinated during that show listening to her talk about uh, how she went from being a senior executive at Texas Instruments to then newly running the North Texas Food Bank. And since then, we've become friends. I've followed her, and I've watched her take this organization not only to new heights, but through this very interesting time in which we live. Now, when she was on my show, she was serving, I have to read this, 72, remember this, 72 million nutrition meals to children, seniors, and the working poor who were chronically hungry. And I remember asking her on the show, what do you mean chronically hungry? And she said, those are people that really don't know where their next meal will come from. And then she told me about a goal she had set for 2025 to reach 92 million meals. A year and we'll see how she uh, expands on that on this show but anyway I called her last week and I said Trisha I want you to come back because I've been watching and seeing and listening to all the things that you and North Texas Food Bank and your partners have been doing to serve not only the people that I just mentioned but new people through this COVID-19 and um, I also said Tricia, you're a positive person, and I want some hope through this podcast today. In fact, I told her, and I'm telling you too, that I started a Facebook Live on Mondays at 4.30, just calling it Raising Your Hopeometer, because I was so tired myself of hearing all the negatives. So let me share with you what she's now doing, and then I'm going to talk to her. In the face of our uncertain and chaotic world today, she's rallying the troops as president and CEO of North Texas Food Bank. She finds that people are stepping up, we know that, that's great, to feed the hungry and that while it can be exhausting work, the reality of getting food distributed to those in need is really bringing hope to those who do volunteer. So Trisha's partner organizations and individuals that are stepping up are what all of this is about today. And Trisha told me that she's seeing that the experience, as I said, from the volunteers and from the partners and from her and from her staff are uplifting in, the, in themselves in that they um, know that they're serving a need. I was thinking, uh, so let me welcome you first, Trisha. Come on board because you look so pretty today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Valerie. You know, Tricia, I was thinking back, um, just setting this up for you tell your story today about 
the times that I have been serving you at, at the North Texas Food Bank and at the MetroCrest uh, Food Bank during the holiday season, and what a joyous time that was. And, and yes, so fulfilling for me, the smiles on the faces of the people that would come by and receive the food. It was a celebration time, and it was a happy time in offering food to people. So now I'm going to be quiet and let you tell us what's going on now. Well, Valerie, I think what you're seeing now is a lot of those people that may have had food insecurity before, like the ones you talked about, may have only come during the holiday time, uh, but we've seen them in our lines now needing food on a regular basis. We have those people that have already been in a volatile situation maybe and needed access to food even on a regular basis from a food pantry their needs have definitely increased. They may have lost their jobs because keep in mind that a lot of the people that we have served in the past have been employed. And uh, it's been more hidden hunger, what you've been seeing in the past. But now with unemployment and this uh, economic situation that we're in now that has been caused by this virus and so much unemployment, we're seeing so many more people that are volatile, uh, even like 40% more that are first time visitors to food pantries or maybe even in line for the first time and the needs that we're seeing are just incredible. If, if you want, let me share a, share our story a little bit in pictures mm -hmm. and uh, then uh, we can ask some additional questions. Okay, great. One of the things that I've seen through this is that uh, the needs are very great. You know, I shared Valerie a story with you about a woman who got in line at one of our distributions at 1.30 in the morning before a 9 a.m. distribution. You know, you don't do that unless you're hungry. And I think one of the big differences that we've seen with hunger today versus hunger pre-COVID is that it's not hidden anymore. Most of the people that we've served have jobs. Well, many of those people don't have jobs now. And now we have new people. Our partner agencies are reporting over 40% of those people that are coming to them right now uh, have never been to a food pantry before for service. And you're seeing miles and miles of cars. So let me share a little bit about what's happened to us with COVID. You can see right here, this is our North Texas Food Bank Pro Family Campus that we moved in April, I'm sorry, in August of 2018, and it tripled the size of our building that we moved out of. And thank goodness we have that to operate from today. Um, you know, right now, if you look at the needs in Texas is what's being projected with COVID, Texas has the second highest number of people with food insecurity in the nation behind California. The North Texas Food Bank service area, our 13 counties that we serve, has the second highest number of people who are food insecure in Texas behind Houston and ninth highest in the nation. Hmm. Dallas County alone has the fifth highest number of food insecure people in the nation. So we are extremely glad that we have this facility to serve from uh, to meet those needs that are being projected from COVID as well. So what you're seeing out here is a visual uh, of our outside of our, of our pro family campus. And what I want you to look at is that X. Back in the Great Depression, an X used to be placed on the curb of those people who would provide access to food at their back door to the passersby that 
that were hungry. And our Perot family campus, they gave our first contribution for our capital campaign that made this campus possible. This was put there in honor of Miss Lulu May. Uh, Miss Lulu May was the mother of the late Ross Perot and Betty Perot. And she had an ex on her curb in Texarkana. And she would always tell her children that, you know what, they're just like this, just a little down in their luck. And you know, that's what we're seeing today. We see a whole lot of people out there that are just like us. I mean, in every zip code, and they're just a little down on their luck. You know, we are in crisis once again, and, and this X is a symbol of hope and nourishment for so many in our community. Let's go to the next slide. So what happened once COVID hit? Mid-March, you start seeing uh, the needs go up, but our volunteers were starting to go down. Many of our uh, corporate volunteers in particular were getting concerned about their employees going into group settings. They had actually told them not to do that and were even meeting them at the door, telling them not to come volunteer. So we had a dilemma on our hands. What do we do to get more steady workforce and then try to make sure that we could also meet the needs uh, that were out in the community? And at that time, what you were seeing on the slide are the shift smart workers. These are, there are people who were unemployed, who were in the hospitality industry, and they, the Communities Foundation of Texas and shift smart that were sort of put together by our board chair, uh, developed this initiative called Get Shift Done that hired these workers to be able to come and help fill our needs here at the food bank. And it's also extended out to other nonprofits in the community now. This innovative approach has really then expanded nationwide as a result of it being piloted here due to one of our needs that we've had. So if we'll go on to the next slide, this is Marco. He is one of the shift smart workers who um, was unemployed. He was an unemployed bartender at the time. And you know, what they really know how to do is they know how to hustle. They know how to get things done. So not only did we have a stable workforce, but we had a very efficient workforce to be able to help us during this time. You know, Tricia, if I can interrupt, you said the word innovation. And one of the things I wanted to ask uh, at some point, and I will now, is what kinds of things have you as the CEO uh, learned to do differently? So what innovative things, and certainly you just talked about it, tell us a little bit more about how you've used uh, this exam or this, this COVID-19 to bring about some innovative new ways of doing things that you may even continue to do. Yeah, thanks, Valerie. I mean, you know what? There's nothing that sort of spurs innovation more than a good crisis because you have to really do think differently. I, I sort of equated it to, you know, people are talking about their jeans now and you have those seams and whenever they stretch <laughs> you sort of see where the weak points are and uh, and so we've been able to see where some of the weak points are and we've been able to then use that as an opportunity to be able to innovate uh, a few examples and we're still working through some of these is how do we make sure that we get fresh produce out and in a way that's safe for people to get this 
produce. We typically had been able to put it in their bags and we couldn't do that now. So we're having to kit boxes and what may work for dry goods may not work for produce. And we're having to work through how do we do that in a way to be able to get it out so that it stays fresh in a longer period of time. We also had to think about even our own employees and our own shifts. How do we keep them safe? Obviously, we implemented all the CDC guidelines, but there are other things that we needed to be able to do as well, such as a business continuity. You know, we have gone from uh, one warehouse shift to three, not only to meet the increasing demands, but also to provide business continuity because if someone were to get sick in one shift, mm. we would have to quarantine the entire warehouse crew, which would shut us down. That would cripple us. So we couldn't do that. So we wanted to make sure that we could um, have that business continuity across our operations as well. So those are just a couple of examples. A third one I would put in there would be our mobile distributions, which I'll share a little bit more later, and how do we make those more efficient as well. Wow, keep going. All right, well, I wanna, next I wanna talk about, we sort of had the Calvary come in on the next slide, uh, this is the National Guard. Uh, within three days of us being notified on, on April 1st in the evening that our application to receive National Guard workers had come through, we had them on site training their leaders and then they were on force uh, on the floor on April 4th. And this was one of their first shifts and they were trying to learn you know, how to put together these produce boxes that we were assembling at that time. Uh, we were then allowed to take the shift smart workers through the Get Shift Done initiative and redeploy them out to some of our partner agencies and some of the other nonprofits that also were struggling with volunteer shortages that were limiting their ability to be able to distribute. These guard workers were put to work not only here, kitting these boxes and in the warehouse that I talked about, but also doing our mobile distributions. They also were drivers. We had them there. They were trained on our equipment and they've been able to work on our equipment. And then we also deployed some of them out to our partner agencies that were larger as well. So let's go to the next slide. The second thing that we had to do is we had to get additional space. Even though we had this great new space that tripled our capacity, it wasn't enough in this crisis. No one could have predicted what this was going to mean to our demand. Uh, we have doubled our output in the last two and a half months. Uh, so here you see at our second site, these are National Guard workers who are assembling uh, kits there. You can see they're wearing their mask and practicing social distancing. So that had to be part of our new norm as well. So we can uh, see some of the things there that they are, they're doing there in their kits. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about um, back to your goal of 2025. You may, you may have already hit it. I don't know. I can't imagine the amount of food that you're giving. What does it look like? What does the food look like, Tricia? Well, you know, let's go on to the next slide because I think it's really going to help us to sort of to share what we're doing. You know, typically what we would do, Valerie, is much more efficient. We would take pallets of food out to our partner agencies or some of our distribution sites, but, and they would go into basically a shopping experience very much like you would at the grocery store, but we couldn't do that. We had to have a safe method of being able to distribute food. So we had to shift our and flip our entire operation to be able to kit food. So we're, we're kitting about 60,000 boxes a week. 
And this is all nutritionally balanced. Our nutritionists make sure that what we have in here is nutritional and it's going to help the health of individuals because we know that those people who are most vulnerable to COVID have other health issues. And those that are food insecure have a higher incidence of other health issues such as hypertension and diabetes than, than others normally do. So in this dry box, we have about 25 to 27 pounds of a product. It includes things like peanut butter, tuna, uh, whole grains, uh, beans, lentils, and canned fruits and vegetables. Normally, this product is also donated by our retail partners, but right now we're seeing even that sort of be stretched and we're having to purchase as much product as we can because we a lot of the grocery stores, they're having empty shelves right now as well. And we're having to go out and purchase a lot of this product that's going into this box, also using some government resources to try to make sure that we have a, a fully balanced nutritional box as well. So let's go on to the next slide and I'll show you the other thing that we distribute. That first box was 25 to 27 pounds and about 21 meals. We supplement that with produce because we know fresh produce is expensive but it's also something that's very important to a nutritious diet. Uh, we've been seeing oranges and mangoes, avocados, sweet potatoes, uh, onions. You can see here squash, cabbage, carrots. Uh, we are boxing these things and also providing those in addition to what we normally would in those dry boxes as well. Tricia, what kind of, this is a lot of stress on your organization and I would man imagine also other food banks. How, what, how have you been able to handle uh, the burden that it's putting on all of the agencies? Yeah, uh, this is really quite incredible. Um, we are trying to support them as much as we can. So our agencies have reported about a 61% increase in the amount of food that they have been distributing. You know, we had a goal this year, and this gets back to your question that I didn't answer earlier. We had a goal this year of trying to provide access of, to 82 million meals. We just hit that goal and our fiscal year doesn't end until the end of June. And uh, so we are well on track to do that plus some. We had a 92 million meal goal by 2025. Uh, I would be surprised if we don't hit that this year. We're not predicting that right now at this moment, but I would be surprised if we don't hit that this year just due to the demand. But our partners are still primarily the avenue that we're getting most of the food out, but we knew we had to step up as well and we were going to have to take more ownership of getting food out to these people that have never needed it before. You know, about 40% of the people that are going to our partner agencies are reporting that they've never had to have assistance before from a, a partner and uh, they don't know what to do. And so these mobile distributions that we are now organizing are a way that we're able to do that. So let's show the next slide and you can see what these used to look like. Uh, these are some of our very early mobile distributions and now this is one of our mobile pantry delivery trucks and you can see the boxes that we're putting out there. Typically we would serve about 200 to 300 families at a site. At this particular distribution that day we distributed 1500 boxes uh, and you can say now we're bringing tractor trailer loads of these kind of boxes of 
the dry boxes and the fresh produce in order to be able to, to distribute those because there's no way that our partner agencies in their locations would have the ability to be able to do that. So let's go on to the next slide as well. Uh, this is just the boxes that are lined up at one of our distributions at Fair Park. Uh, we've done three distributions there and we can go to the next slide as well. You can see there the line of car that was cars that were lined up. That was over two miles long. That was our second distribution that we had done. Uh, our third distribution was just last week and I was there at that distribution. They, they had a new way to do it where we lined them up on Fair Park. It was one and a half miles of, of line and we had four four different lines of cars. So you can imagine that. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to you about the woman that lined up for that at 1.30 in the morning. The third person in, in line was there right behind her. Uh, she had lost her job and she was trying to feed her family. The first person in line, she was actually still employed, but she said, I normally would be the one that would take advantage of these kind of food things for special occasions. I tried, she said, I tried not to do it all the time, but you know, for the holidays and things, I would want a little extra food for my family. But she said, I need that food now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And they, you, you go through and you see these people and they're doing the praying hands and saying appreciation and thank you so much. And, you know, you're our heroes. And, uh, you know, it's just so humbling to know that we are providing that hope for that family. And we tell them you're going to get through this. Obviously, we're, we're just grateful that we're in a position to be able to do that. You know, we are, we are increasing the service through those mobile distributions that we showed by 10X in some cases. Mm -hmm. And some of our partners are showing, you know, 900% increases in some cases for some of the days that they're open as well. So what used to be hidden is no longer hidden uh, in our community anymore. Hunger is a very real thing. You know, Tricia, the first time you were on the show, my eyes were totally opened to this need of hunger. I didn't really, really deeply understand that there really, really are people in our country, in our country that are going hungry. And now all of this. So I would hope that people who are watching and listening today, wherever you are in the country, particularly here in your area, how can we support you, Tricia? Yeah, well, you know, let me let me just show we have been receiving some wonderful support. Uh, we have people that have this was a person from Idaho who saw a piece that we were featured on some national news and they just said they were touched by what we were doing here. You know, there's 200 food banks in the Feeding America network across the country and all of us are the same, but we all are a little different and we do encourage people to support their local food banks because one of the things that we found ourselves is that our partner agencies have told us that we supply about 80% of the food that they deliver. So mm -hmm. that is critical. They're mm -hmm. critical to us as a distribution point, but we're critical to them to make sure that they have access to the food. So that's, that's one of the things. And so even the next slide as well, if you ever had doubt in humankind, uh, here's a woman who lives off of social security and she got her stimulus check in the mail and she said, you know, I'm able to make it and cover my living expenses, but I think NTFB could use my stimulus check money more right now. So, you know, we've received 
so many of these people that very humbly are giving what they can to make sure that their neighbors have food on their table, you know, large and small gifts. And that's just primarily the main way that people can help right now, because we are ordering as much food as possible to try to make sure that we have the variety that we need. When we're kidding these boxes, we need to have pallets of food that we can take them and we can quickly turn them and put them into those boxes to make sure that it's nutritionally balanced and it's a similar menu in all those boxes so that we can keep it balanced. So that's why it's really important that we have these pallets of food and we can buy in bulk right now it's challenging for us. We're having to even pay premium on some of the product that we are ordering just because of supply and demand right now. Mm -hmm. And even some of them we're having to see four to six week lead times to even get the food in. But we're feeling very fortunate in that because some of our, our sister food banks are even seeing longer lead times and even higher price premiums. So we're trying to put every dollar to work to make sure that we can access the food and the resources to be able to distribute that out because we know this is not going to be a short-term issue. This is going to be for the long term and we're going to have to make sure that we can try to meet these needs over the long term. And if you go to the next slide, you can see if people want to help by contributing physical food because we know some people like to do that as well. Uh, this is Amazon wish list and if you just uh, go to ntfb.org slash wishlist. We actually have some of the items that we're including in those kitted boxes on the wish list, and people can order those and they can come directly here as well. So if someone prefers to do that, this is more helpful than a sort of separate canned food drive right now, just because this gives us the items that we need and they come in in packages that make it easier for us to be able to put into the bins, to be able to get to them, to, to kit them on the production floor as well. And then finally on slide 14, this next slide, some people that would normally come and volunteer with us in person, right now our campus is not open for volunteers and we miss seeing our volunteers. We love our volunteers, but you know, they can virtually volunteer with us. They can follow us on all of our social media platforms. They can search for the North Texas Food Bank on all of those and they can share our story and they can add their own story on top of that. And why do they support NTFB? And why is this important right now in our community to be able to do this? Because what we have seen is this increased awareness and just what you talked about, Valerie, so many people in our community did not know before this crisis that we had a hunger issue, but we did. We had a big hunger mm -hmm. issue, but now they're seeing all the lines and they're seeing the people that really need our help and as a result, because of that awareness, our community is stepping up to be able to help their fellow neighbors. Because I can tell you, when you go and you see these lines of cars, uh, you see every make and model of car in that line. And you see people that have recently lost their jobs. And then you see people that have been working, that have been in food insecure, that they need our help now more than ever. Mm. Wow, Tricia, what a story. I'm so glad you had those pictures for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Many of you are not, you're listening to this, but she did a great job, didn't she, of explaining the slides. And, the, and that told the whole story. Tricia, I wanted, before we go though, I want to talk about you because I know that you went to work and have been at work every day. Ah. <laughs> uh, and many, many people in areas of need, all of the 
uh, medical people and so forth. How, how are you doing that? How are you taking care of yourself and still ramping up yourself physically and emotionally? Well, you know, I think we've just all pushed through. I mean, I have a wonderful team and they've all been doing the same thing I have. You know, right now we're just doing everything we can because our main priority is to make sure that people are fed and we want to do whatever we can. I will tell you, I've had a few of my own personal learnings, though, during this time. Um, you know, I, I've done the strength finders. My number one strength is competitive. And, you know, sometimes being competitive can mean that you always want to be the best at everything that you do. And one of the things this crisis has taught me is that sometimes it's better to be 80% there and get the job done than be perfect or best and uh, not be able to meet the needs. So, you know, we've, we're trying some things. We're trying to keep a lot of plates up in the air right now. And that means me too, me, Trisha too. And sometimes one of those plates will fall. And I've been telling my team, that's okay. We're gonna pick up the plate. We're gonna glue it back together. We're gonna put it back on the stick. We're gonna get it spinning again. And because of that, I think I've had to show more grace. More grace has been shown to me by our community because they know that really, truly, those that we serve are our heart. They're the center of everything that we do. And as long as we keep focused on that, you know, I think people are going to continue to support us and what we want to be able to accomplish there as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about how also we're using these as opportunities, all these crisis situations to really stress the system. Uh, to be able to learn what do we need to do going forward. And so I'm using this as a tool, as a learning opportunity. How do we take the best parts of these efficiencies that we're gaining and implement those so that they're sustainable for the long term? What we're doing right now probably is not sustainable for the long term, but how do we turn those practices into things that can be sustainable for the long term? So our team is certainly looking at that as well. We're also even looking at how we work as many companies are right now looking at their return to work model, you know, our offices here are very dense. They're very open concept. It was the thing to do to have this sort of build community, but guess what? It's really not optimal for these situations where you have a health crisis. And so we're actually relooking at who needs to be here on site all the time, who might need to be here on occasion and who really could do their jobs from home. Mm -hmm. And what is the most effective me mechanisms to be able to do that? And how do we make sure that we can continue to operate? And then me personally, you know, we have been pushing it, but I try to make sure that I'm taking time for myself when I can. We're gonna have to implement that better. I'm gonna have to be better at that. My team is gonna have to be better at that. And we're gonna have to encourage our team members to do that as well. Because, you know, you can't, continue going at what I'm calling a sprint pace yeah. with a marathon every day. Mm. And we have to be in it for the marathon mm. and it's not a sprint. Right now it has felt like a sprint for the past few months, but we're gonna have to try to get back into how do we continue to, to do this, uh, to be able to continue to meet these needs, but at a pace that will help us to make sure that we can maintain the stamina that we need for the long term as well. Wow, you were very vulnerable in, uh, you really gave us some teachable points of view. Thank you for those lessons you've learned. And you mentioned when we talked earlier, the word scrappy, <laughs> that says it all, right? This is a time to just get it done, be scrappy, be nimble. You've got 
you've got to be more flexible, switch on a dime or whatever cute little phrases you want to use. But um, perfectionism, that would be nice. I've never found it. <laughs> I've yeah. always been. Me either. I'm definitely not perfect, but I've always had that desire to want to be, you know, do the very best I can. And sometimes the best I can is to let a few things go and make sure that we can get the job done. So, yes, you're right. We've had to be scrappy and nimble and and switch on a dime. And, and I think the other thing, too, here, just I know I know you're talking about leadership here. We have seen some real leaders rise to the occasion that we probably never would have seen before if we had been in our current circumstances. And so that just shows that, you know, we have talent in all of our organizations that when given the opportunity, they can rise to the occasion. Oh, that's great. And, you know, I, I asked, well, I said to you before the show, I said, you know, this is a case study. It is, isn't it, Tricia? It absolutely is. And, you know, no one, even though we may have had a pandemic plan, we had to throw that out the window because you really don't know what it's like until you've been through it. And we pulled together a pandemic task force uh, very early on to bring together all different parts of the organization because it has taken every part of this organization for our response. And mm -hmm. so we were meeting daily at times, twice a week. Now we're down to once a week. And one of the things that we're going to do with this is with all these subject matter experts, we're going to document this because we want this for the future. And whether it's a pandemic or whatever crisis it may be, this will now become our blueprint on how we are able to handle those. You know what, that's obviously you should do that as an organization. And I'm going to take it a step further, Tricia, and encourage every single person, whatever it is that you're doing now, and you're finding new ways of doing things, innovation we talked about, or you're finding what uh, strengths and, and attributes that you have sort of used more frequently than ever before and it's worked you know journal those things each and every person that's listening today journal your own case studies because this is an important time in our lives this is a time that we will all remember for the rest of our lives and if you don't write it down it's going to be gone trust me i know that we don't write things down about things that we do and do well. So I would encourage you to do that for yourselves as well. And Tricia, for you, just um, for all of us who are listening, thank you, really. Thank you so much for your dedication, coming to work every day. That's above and beyond. And, and we just appreciate feeding those people, as you said, 40%. Think about that, listeners. 40%, isn't that right, Tricia, that have That's never... Correct. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. You know, and and I think something else, too, that I would just throw in there as well. You know, the first time that we talked on this show, we talked about the VUCA world. Yeah. Volatile, uncertain, um, complex and amb ambiguous. Yep. Well, guess what? We are in definitely a VUCA world right now. And I agree with you that sort of journaling and writing down these experiences, because this truly, I hope, is a once in a lifetime situation. But I think there's so many learnings that we're gathering from this that we need to, to take note of that and we need to apply it. 
Thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show. And you have done what I had hoped and knew you would, which is you've raised some hopeometers today. There's hope. There's hope. There's good things that will come from all of that. So we thank you so much, Tricia, for being on the show. And since you did mention VUCA, I have a gift for every one of you who are listening today. Um, if you will, it's a free gift. If you will just go to my website, ValerieAndCompany.com forward slash gift. I wrote an ebook on living, uh, well, it's called, let's see, how did I position it? Um, basically, it's, it's, are you, what are you doing in this VUCA world? How are you responding in this VUCA world? How are you leading in this VUCA world? So I think it's a timely ebook that I wrote really a year ago. And who knew that it would be so relevant today? So I want you to have that ValerieAndCompany.com forward slash gift. And until next time, you just stay, stay the course. Keep your hope. We will get through this. And we'll see you next time. And now I have my Valerieism that I always leave with. And this one is this. Care. C-A-R-E. That's what we've been talking about. C-A-R-E. And I broke it down into the letters. It's easy to remember. The C, I think, for today is, is standing for challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to get out there and think about what you can do for other people, with other people. Everyone today needs hope. That's why I started the Facebook Lives. It's called Raising Your Hopeometer, and that's exactly the reason I started it, to, to give us all maybe some tips, some thoughts, some chats about where is there hope. Well, one of the main places is in helping other people. Challenge yourself every day to do something, say something, pat on the back, smile through the mask. I don't care. That's for the C. The A is take action. Do it. That's easy. The R is be relentless. Be relentless in staying the course. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of us, me included, that have days when I just... Even though I'm at home and I could sleep in, I don't. But boy, there are days I sure want to, and many of you do too. So the anxiety level, the stress level, just stay in there. Be, re be um, relentless with your belief that you will get through this, and usually with other people's help. And finally, the E is encourage. There's not one person in all the years I've lived and worked in leadership with all kinds of people that I haven't recognized every single person I've ever met has those down times. Well, we're in some down times. So we need encouragement. What can you do to encourage somebody today and tomorrow and the next day? Because you know what? It certainly fulfills your own heart. And that's my Valerieism for today. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.